Welcome to episode number 29 of the Jackson Hole Connection. Today, I have a special episode because I have not one guest, but two. The wife and husband team, Shannon and Brian Miles. Shannon and Brian are the co-creators and co-CEOs of Belay, a virtual service provider with over 600 team members. Belay has graced the Inc. 5000 list three times and was awarded Entrepreneur Magazine's number one spot for best company culture. And remember, they're a virtual company. Today, it's my honor to have Shannon and Brian on the show to share with myself and you, the listeners, how they have created such a successful company from the ground up while working as a husband and wife team. Sit back, relax, grab a warm beverage, enjoy the show. And before we begin, I have a quick word from one of my sponsors. Jackson Hole Marketplace, the small market in Jackson Hole with a huge reach. Stop in for hot coffee and homemade breakfast in the morning, awesome lunches in the afternoon, and finish the day with a soft serve ice cream and a six pack of beer. Need catering for breakfast or lunch? They can do it and deliver for free. Want to know more? Visit jhmarketplace.com. Thank you for being here, guys. Welcome. Thank you. We're super happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Yes. Tell everybody who's listening today, what is your connection to Jackson Hole? I'll let you take that since you were the first one to connect with Jackson Hole yeah. in the timeline. Well, uh, the first time I laid eyes on Jackson, I was with five other guys and we backpacked from the top of the tram through the back end uh, on Teton Crest Trail down to Jenny Lake. And that was in 2009. And I absolutely fell in love with the Grand. And we stayed in the Kelly campground. And I saw two moose that tussled. Mm-hmm. I've always wondered if it's more than one moose, is it meese? But, <laughs> but, but uh, it, was, uh, it was just a magical trip for me. Um, and and a, a really kind of a, a cool time. It was about a year before we started thinking about having a business. So I wasn't even thinking about the company that we currently have. Yeah. Then in 2010, I had the opportunity to meet a guy that had a home there and we brought my sales team out there to Jackson and I got to meet this guy and spend time with them and, and just kind of fell in love with Jackson all the more and told Shannon that we had to bring the kids out. Yeah, like we got to get out here together. <laughs> and uh, vacation there. And so by 2011, the family had been out there. Uh, we would have been seven months into our business at that point and starting our company together. And um, I climbed the Grand then as well. It's made it to the top. The rest of history, we became homeowners in Jackson in 2015 and just are crazy about Jackson all, all around. Can't get enough of it. Wish we could be there more. Yes. And we love sharing it with, with friends and family too, but we try not to let the word get out too much. We're, we're trying to hold it tight, but be generous at the same time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. the secret's out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We oftentimes we reference, hey, no, we're talking about Jackson, Mississippi. Yeah, it's delightful. It's great. <laughs> yes, I'm very familiar with Jackson, Mississippi. I grew up in Brookhaven, Mississippi, oh, yes. miles south of I-55. That's right. In Jackson, Mississippi, in Brookhaven. So, um, well, that's a fantastic introduction to being connected here. So you go home after doing the Crest Trail and say, Shannon, you have to see this place. You've yeah. got to come back with me. You're yeah. not going to believe this place. The, the most experience I had with anything remotely close to that area was Billings, Montana. And I don't know that you can really compare <laughs> the two. He's like, I didn't know a place like this existed. We got to go check it out. It's just gorgeous. I mean, we've traveled quite a bit. and We've seen mountains and the Sierras and so forth. But there's just something very Colorado. 
unique about that range. You know, and maybe it's the absence of foothills. You know, maybe it's the proximity to two national parks. I don't know what it was. Um, it's just that place when I'm there just does good things for my soul. And I think it does for our kids too and for Shannon. I think something that adds to the uniqueness of this place, it, the mountains are part of the driving factor, but it's, I think it's the people. For sure. Mm-hmm. For yeah. sure. Yeah, we've, we've met and have become friends with so many cool people in the town of Jackson. Yeah. And we're, you know, involved with the Silicon Colore. Uh, folks and we we love to you know participate in seeing businesses emerge in Teton County and it's it's such a cool area I think you're right because of the people and and, and it's it's a kind of a, it's a really cool eclectic group of people too it's not just one it's not a bunch of you know they're not all hedge fund owners mm-hmm. you know there's plenty of just down there folks too not that they can't be but we've we've just we've bumped into so many types of people it's awesome yeah it is we have a quite a interesting span of, of folks that live here and, and it makes it very colorful to read the paper and the opinion polls. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into the two of you, husband and wife team, starting a business and growing it to where you have now. Shannon, would you like to take the lead on how this all developed and what you thought initially when you guys started discussing starting a business together. (laughs) And then the reality of how it's panned out. Yes, I'd love to. (laughs) Um, So in 2010, we were both working for separate corporations. I was working for McKesson in the software implementation side of the business. And Brian was working for a very niche industry, church construction. So net new construction and renovation of spaces. And for different reasons, we had both just reached a point in our careers where we knew it was time to make a change. And it wasn't a change to go to the next position. It was like, no, this is going to be a big change. And we had always wanted to have something of our own, um, have a business together. Didn't know exactly what that should look like, but that sort of, that seed had been planted for a long time. Um, so we just kind of looked around and I think one of the reasons a lot of people start a business is because they see something that's not working and they think they can do it better. And that's sort of our mentality. Um, so as we were trying to like formulate our plan, Brian had been working with his virtual assistant for about six or seven years at that point, And it just, it worked. And so we thought, man, if there's a way to take what Brian and Trisha have experienced and replicate that to the market, we could really have something here. Because up until that point, it was just the virtual assistant market was a lot of overseas work. So outsourced to India, Guatemala, Philippines, which I think was great in theory for a lot of people. But I think the execution left a lot of people feeling like maybe this doesn't work after all. So based on Brian's positive experience in that space and and knowing a particular industry that, that he was really networked in, we just decided in the summer of that year to form what is now Blit and go all in on this whole virtual model. So we've never had an office. Um, we at first did that out of necessity because we were funding this thing from our 401ks from the jobs we were quitting. So we just didn't want to spend money on an office. But then over time, it's like, if, if we're going to do, you know, this virtual service offering through, you know, virtual assistants, bookkeepers, and, and now website specialists, it's like, we should practice what we preach, right? And so it's grown. That was, you know, all in once we wrapped up our jobs, that was December of 2010. And, you know, we started with $160,000 of our 401ks (laughs) 
and cashed them out and took huge pay cuts and jumped off a bridge to do this thing. And, and our kids were two and five at the time. Yes, our kids were little. Um, you guys are brave. Or stupid. <laughs> felt, I don't know. It felt interesting. <laughs> a little bit of context to that, too. I mean, this is during the Great Recession, right? So mm-hmm. and it's just, you know, through, right through the midst of it. And our, our friends and family thought we were nuts, but we also saw unemployment at 9.6%. Everybody was thinking outsourcing. No one was wanting to add the payroll. So we, yeah. we, we knew that there was probably something to what we were up to. It ended up being the perfect time. Great vision. Fast forward that to now, you know, eight, almost eight and a half years later, um, we have over 700 team members uh, around the country, a mixture of corporate team employees and, and contracted team members that do the work of, you know, virtual assistant, but keep our website specialist. Um, it's grown. We did $20 million in top line revenue last year, which exceeded our projections in a great way um and just see just continued opportunity here in the states to to really serve this market well i get the part of where you decide with the va because that brian had some experience in there yeah but at what point did you decide to add bookkeeper and web specialists to the package of services the bookkeeper service was almost right away. So we just we started in December of 2010 with the VA service, our virtual assistant service. And in January of 2011, we started the bookkeeping service line as well, uh, mostly because it was so complementary to the VA thing. But VA, a virtual assistant and a virtual bookkeeper are two different people. It's two different skill sets, but very much uh, a, a needed thing that a lot of leaders don't like doing. And so it just was actually a very natural ad to, to do that because one, clients were asking for it or prospects were asking for it. And then the virtual uh, webmaster piece truly was born out of our own frustration. We, we wanted uh, a really great webmaster on our team, but we didn't want to pay someone a hundred grand a year full time to just play solitaire most times. What we wanted was somebody that was there on a first name basis that we could have as a fractional webmaster that we could have on a first name basis in case something crazy happened and keep our website weapons grade. And we just, we built it for ourselves and we realized clients, our clients want this and could use it as well. So we, we started the webmaster business in 2015 or 2016. Mm-hmm. Okay. And congratulations on your top line revenue. That's Thank you. terrific. Yeah. We grew by 41% last year, which was uh, a surprise. And it's great. The clip of our growth has continued in, into this fiscal year so far. We've, we've seen good results so far this year. So I think we're we just kind of hit a new stride, I think, or maybe inflection point in our business. And that's all organic growth. That's not through acquisitions. No. No, and, and yeah. we've never taken on funding, never acquired another. Yeah, it's all organic growth. Yeah. That's terrific. You have recently, Belay has been recognized, I think, by Forbes and maybe some other publications. Is that correct? Yeah, back in 2017, we, we basically um, received the top company culture award. Uh, out of uh, 50 companies, we were ranked number one. So we, for all of 2017, we were the heavyweight champion of company culture. Uh, and so we uh, thought that was really cool simply because we don't have an office. And so that turned a lot of heads and they're like, how in the world did you win a culture award if you don't have an office? So I wrote a book called Virtual Culture. The way we work doesn't work anymore. And part of that was our reasons for writing that book or my reason for writing that book was simply because a lot of people translate culture to an office. And we don't think that's the case at all. Actually, culture is defined by common or shared vision, not a physical presence or physical office. Mm-hmm. 
And so we wrote that book for essentially for creating a playbook if other companies wanted to kind of go more virtual, more uh, remote, that they could at least see how we did it. We never pretend like it was the playbook on how to do it. Mm-hmm. And so on top of that, we've won some, you know, really cool like best place to work awards and things like that in Metro Atlanta. And then, you know, we've, we've been in Inc. Um, for um, four years in a row for um, Inc. 500, 5,000 uh, fastest growing companies in the United States. And I think we're going to make it again this year, uh, our fifth year in a row, I believe. That's fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. I feel so self-promoting to like run down the list. <laughs> Let's look at our trophy case, shall we? <laughs> Would you like to see our plaques? They're amazing. Yeah, show them. <laughs> Uh, you know, I think what all that says for me is we um, are very fortunate to have a great group of people that believe in what we're doing collectively. Yeah. And we get to serve great people like you that are doing cool things in the world in so many unique ways. And it's just a testimony to the, to the power that when you get behind somebody and you serve them, you can actually win as well. Like you don't have to be the hero in order to win. You can actually just serve people really well yeah. and then win as well. <laughs> And that's really where the concept for the company name came from. You know, we want to belay our clients to climb higher. It's not about us. It's about them and what they can accomplish with great support. And so we like to say sometimes we do all the unsexy stuff that it takes for for businesses and organizations to grow because it's not about us. It's about our clients. And I'm glad that you mentioned as clients such as I and to let everybody know for myself, I am use belay services. I have a virtual assistant and Kelly, and it's has changed my life. It has been spectacular. How so? It has given me more freedom to focus on the business. It has helped me grow the business because I have somebody who I can rely on to accomplish certain aspects of the business. And it's been a growing process because she and I've had to work together and learn how each other work. And as we are around each other more, she has a better understanding of of what I'm looking for. And Mm -hmm. that's just part of the growth and have great communication, communicate, communicate, communicate. That's right. You know, some of our best clients and clearly one of those, one of our best clients, um, they see their assistants as an extension of who they are. They don't see them as just some secretary that's getting someone coffee. Like they, they actually see them as a person that can walk alongside them and help them be far more productive, you know, like a multiple of like three and four times, not just one times more. It's, mm-hmm. And we see that when clients get it and they're like, oh, this person is actually doing things on my behalf and I'm just going to grease the tracks for them. It's a game changer for them. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I just love hearing that, that that's working so well for you. That's awesome. Yes. So what did you two learn as far as starting a business as a husband and wife team and has that changed the husband and wife dynamics? Brian loves me more today than he did eight years ago and vice versa. No, seriously. I, you know, sometimes we've been married a long time. We've been married 22 years now. So we had been married for a while before we started the business long enough to know who we were individually, how we could work together, strengths and weaknesses and that sort of thing. And, you know, I think sometimes in a relationship, the differences can cause friction. They can cause, the differences can cause arguments and division. But fortunately, when we started the company, we were able to leverage our differences to come together and, and be what the business needed completely. You know, not that it was always us. We had 
we actually had a virtual assistant and an outsourced bookkeeper from pretty much day one. So we once again, practice what you preach. But I think in terms of our personalities and what we have to offer for the business, it's very different. Just being open and honest about those things. And when conflict does arise, because it does even, even now, like in forevermore, right? is just being able to talk about that conflict in a healthy way where it doesn't end up degrading the relationship is huge. And that's probably true for any business partnership, right? Regardless of being husband and wife, um, just how you work through those things. And I think just from the very beginning too, there's just a great deal of mutual respect for each other and in knowing that we wanted to make this work long-term for our family. We never wanted to lose ourselves or our relationship in the company. So that long-term, like us still being good, even beyond belay, um, has been a good reminder of not letting things in the business overcome us or divide us as husband and wife. Yeah, that, that mutual respect, I think, is very important. I mean, we, we had careers before we ever started this company. So I watched her for a decade plus navigate complexity and some like multi-million dollar project management type roles and, and very high-end complex sales and navigate legal issues. And I saw all that play out before we ever together. So for me, when we, we thought we could do this together, it was like, sweet. I, I, you know, we're getting that kind of talent on each other's team to do this together. And it was, it was never like, well, you work for me. And I, you know, it was none of that. It's like, we're doing this together. Yeah. And so we became a pretty unified team in terms of what we could do. We think business wise, you know, and the other thing too, you know, we know our, I think we know the lanes, especially today, we know the lanes to stay in for each other. Like I, there are things that when it comes through my inbox, I know the default to Shannon immediately because it's just not my wheelhouse, you know, and, and vice versa. And I, I think that that, you learn that over time, but I think there's probably some natural things that you just know to be the case before you would want to, you know, jump into owning a business, uh, you know, as a, as a husband and wife team. I think whether you're working together or it's just husband and wife talk about it and mutual respect is that's the gold at the end of the rainbow right there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, I, I wince when I sometimes, uh, a guy said, yeah, you know, my, my wife works in the business, but she's my assistant. And I'm like, Ooh, I hope that works out. All right. You know, like, cause I'm thinking, I don't know many women that want to do that, you know, and, and, and they want to be kind of alongside you and a partner with you and just doesn't seem to play out well when we hear it, you know, do that. But we, I guess, you know, maybe it works in some capacities, yeah. but for us, we just felt like we both have equal things to offer to grow this company in our own unique experiences and skill sets. And it's, it's played really well to our favor. And then we've, you know, we've had to give some stuff up and delegate too, like, you know, key leadership stuff. We've, we've offloaded a lot of that to other folks so that we can live to the mantra that we believe, which is to own the business, not run the business. So we have a mantra, we want to own, not run, so that we can truly be owners and let other people, great people really actually run our company for us. I think that's so important because before I started using Belay and what drove me to use Belay was a mentoring group that I have that Bill Watkins runs called right. the Lions Pride. And that has helped me get out of the uh, being knee deep or neck deep in the business and me looking at the business from a higher level and yeah. uh, running it versus being in it. And it's helped the business grow too. I love That's awesome. That. We love Bill. He's been a great friend, just personal friend and, and a huge advocate for what we do at Belay. So we have a great deal of respect for him and, and very similar values in terms of how we view their business and 
things like that. Can we tell a quick Jackson story? Please, yes. That's related to this own not run thing. Mm-hmm. I think you need to say it because it was yours. Uh, <laughs> uh, so that back to 2011, uh, my friend Jeff and I were climbing the Grand, and we had stopped off at 10,000 feet for kind of a break because uh, at, at the at the high camp. And, and mind you, this is seven months into our business. Okay, so we're we're knee deep in it. We're not seeing any sort of profit yet. We're you know that hundred sixty thousand dollars of our four hundred one k money is getting eaten into. Um, the clock was running. Yeah, sure. and, I, and I, I felt the tension. Right, like it was. It, you didn't have to tell me. I felt it. And so we were we were uh, had just had dinner and we were getting ready to kind of just kind of crash in the tents for a little bit before we got up at midnight to put our stuff on and go for the summit. And and Jeff starts asking me the questions about the business and I'm you know I'm I'm answering them. And then I made some kind of comment about, you know, I own the business or I own this thing or whatever. And he stops me in the tent. And he goes, you don't own anything. And I'm like, shut up. Yes, yes, I do. Like, what are you talking about? Of course I own this company, you know? And, and he goes, no, you don't own anything. And he was kind of being more like crass and matter of fact about it. I'm like, okay, clearly this is going to become a teaching time. So he goes, listen, the day that the business doesn't need you day to day, is the day that you own the business. Until then, you run a business. And I was like, ah, crap, he's yeah. right. <laughs> so right. And I, so I, then I, I laid awake pretty much until midnight, until we got our stuff on. And then we got up to the summer around 6 a.m. and came all the way back down to the trailhead. And I promptly found Shannon once we got back into Jackson. And I said, hey, you know, this is the experience I had. This is what he said. I, I think that we need to own the business, not run the business. And that truly from the early innings of our, of our business, we've, we've carried that mantra forward and it's really informed a lot of the decisions we make day to day in our company. You know, we, Hey, when this opportunity comes across, is this something for us to own it or for us to run it or this person or this thing we need to delegate, is this giving us an opportunity to own the business or are we going to obligate ourselves to run it? So we've, we've just used that as a really great litmus test for owning and not running. And as much as I hate that he was right, he's absolutely right. <laughs> But the reason I wanted Brian to share that with you is because like what you were saying with having great help, you're able to view the business differently. You're able to kind of rise above it and make more proactive decisions about it and work on it and not in it all the time. And I think that has, it's definitely shaped the way we've, we've led Belay, but I think it's also to your point and you've experienced this too, contributed to the growth. I think that's what our companies need from us a lot of times is to get out of the details in the day-to-day and see it at a, at a higher level. Have you all passed up on revenue opportunities or something that seemed like a revenue opportunity because it would have had you in the position of running the business versus owning the business? I think yeah. that, uh, yeah, in, in particular one where we, we had a, uh, one of our competitors back in 2015 approach us to sell and they were actually very affordable it would have been a very affordable buy for our company, but their model was a little bit different. We were going to inherit a culture. This is truly going to be an acquisition, not a merger. Um, it just felt like we were going to be in a position where we were going to have to really get back into this thing and run it, not own it. Yeah. Um, and we, we re- I think we made the right call. We didn't do it. We've never done that yet. I think it'd be fun to figure it out someday. Yeah, but it, but it, yeah. up until we, we decided though that that was not the right thing because it was going to make us become runners again. Yeah. Uh, we've oftentimes turned away prospects because 
they weren't a right fit for our company. And, and where that kind of plays in is the wrong prospects that become the wrong customers become uh, Tasmanian devils for your brand. And so as owners, we would probably have to fight some branding battles with unhappy wrong customers as a result of that. So we've, we've tried really hard to make our sure our sales team picks the right customers. Uh, and we say oftentimes that, you know, not everybody gets to be our customer. We're qualifying them as much as they're qualifying us. Mm-hmm. And that's been very helpful to the sanity of our, of our team and our brand and us as owners. Yeah. And there have been times where people are like, oh, what if you did virtual uh, legal services? Or have you thought about getting into insurance with your book kit? And we're just like, oh, no, no, we're good. <laughs> like knowing our focus and knowing our lane has been helpful to strive to the own not run mantra as well. That's right. So I do want to get back to the merger and acquisition, understanding your yeah. interpretation of difference. But you just said something. Not every customer is your customer. And so you have a particular field of industries that you specialize in or not specialize in. Is that correct? So we, we work in a 30, we work in over 30 different verticals today. So that, and those are folks that can be our clients. What I, what I meant by that was not everybody gets to become our customer. We're very, we're really picky about the type of customer that comes on board with us. We've created um, a set of avatars that says, this is what the ideal customer looks like for us. And it's, it's more about, attributes versus a particular industry. We're looking for a certain type of leader that will um, be open-handed in terms of how we counsel them. You know, like if you, if you say, Hey, I've had a, a secretary for 20 years and I know exactly what I'm doing. I just want someone virtual. Maybe. Probably not going to be the best fit for us because you've already got it figured out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and so for us, what we found is, you know, we, we need people, we need leaders that are open-handed are um, humble enough to say, yeah, I don't know how to work virtual teach me, mm-hmm. you know, and also are level headed about the types of things that they need help with. You know, if you're the type of person that just got to have a cup of coffee brought in by your assistant every day and your dry cleaning dropped off, all that can be done by local runners, but that won't be your virtual assistant. You know, so there's just things like that. There's attributes we're looking for that are very much pro for our business and very much con for our business. And we teach that into our sales team so that they're looking for the right type of prospect to ultimately become our customer, then become a happy customer and then promote our business because that's how we ultimately grow more businesses quite often through referral. Good work on setting those avatars and the attributes that you're looking for. Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, It's been very helpful. I wish uh, Seth Godin talks about that heavily. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't think all businesses have done it. And I can tell you, I haven't done it very well, but there was one point that we were going after every customer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now we've gotten much better at knowing who our core customer is, but we can That's still awesome. be better at it. How did you figure that out? How did you kind of hone in on that? It, it took some soul searching personally for where I wanted the business to go mm-hmm. and to for me to set some core values, some core beliefs and goals for the business. And when I started doing that, that helped me define who my ideal customer is Mm -hmm. because knowing who, what my beliefs and values are and the direction I want to take to my customer, that helps me decide what customers I want to target. Right. Yes. And Mm -hmm. going after the right customer is the right way to do business. And there's so many different businesses out there that there's enough for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's living in a, in a, in a a space or an understanding of abundance, you know, like 
we go like, mm -hmm. you know, oh, we're going to lose out on all these potential prospects because we're creating this avatar. That's exactly right. Because we actually believe that they're best served somewhere else and the right customers will come to us too. It's, it's seeing it through the lens of abundance, not scarcity. Mm -hmm. And, and I, that, that gives us a lot of peace, I think, in terms of how we approach the business. And we actually oftentimes have to teach that into our employees that, Hey, no, we'll be okay. You know, this is, this is a game where we see that there's plenty of opportunity that's out there. We choose to live this way. And it seems to reflect itself in our business too. It, it does. You had over 40% growth this yeah. past year. Yeah. yeah. It's reflected in your business for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to the merger acquisition side of things, you said that that business um, would have been one versus the other. Help us understand what you mean by that when people are looking at um, other businesses. Well, well, let's just be honest. I don't, I personally don't think that there's a such thing as a merger. I really don't. I think that one company, whether it's a merger or not, there's someone is acquiring somebody in terms of culture, like something's getting eaten alive in order to become something new. And one company is going to play out over the other in a merger situation. And acquisition is just more crystal clear that we're acquiring you and we're, we're going to have you indoctrinate into what we believe our culture, our values, our ideas, our systems, our process so I think that oftentimes companies kid themselves by saying there's actually a merger. There's actually two very large banks here in the South that are quote unquote merging. And I can almost guarantee you, I know the one that's going to merge in terms of the brand and what it's going to look like on the other side of it. But in that particular situation back in 2015, this was going to be an acquisition. They were 20 times smaller than us. And we were, we were going to take out that part of the business and really kind of orchestrate it for what our purposes were. It just, it was such a mountain to climb to do that, that it wasn't the right call for us at the time. Kudos for you guys. Not everybody's willing to accept the, the truth and the reality uh, of like you guys did. We thought about it long and hard. We did the due diligence and we yeah. critically thought it through. And on the other side of it, we're just like, this, this just isn't worth it. You know what the deciding factor was for us? It, once we really started crunching the numbers, we realized that we could gain organically in one quarter what we would have acquired through the purchase of that company. And so we're like, man, that it feels like a lot less work to just keep our heads down, nose to the grindstone, doing what we have known to work for a quarter than having to go acquire another company, merge the cultures, figure all of that. It just felt like it was going to be like cool on the outside and really, really tough on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. So we're like, let's just keep doing what we're doing. We don't, we don't need to be that cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and talking to you guys and even past conversations and hearing you speak previously, you all are, are very laser focused with your business and passing up that acquisition is very obvious that you have some great laser focus. Share with people that you've explained before that I've heard about your hiring process, because it's a very rigorous uh, process, I believe. Yeah, it is. We filter on two things, culture and anticipated performance. So are they a good you know, skill set fit? And we always filter on culture first. We sort of live and die by it and feel like, like what you were talking about earlier with really identifying your values and you know, your sort of non-negotiables in the business. Our culture is that for us. We're not for everybody, but we know that there are a lot of people out there that would kind of gravitate toward this. So anyway, we, we first filter on culture and get some of the logistical things out of the way first too. Is it going to be a good pay fit? 
you know, is this something that somebody sees as a stopgap until they're ready to move on to the next thing? Or is this really something they want to pursue long term? And then we, we test on skills, you know, the ability to do the job and in the space that we're in, and maybe some of the listeners are in too, it's like the, the work evolves all the time. So it's less, do they know how to use this particular application and more, are they resourceful? Are they going to roll up their sleeves and figure it out? Are they going to be great communicators um, because when you're working remote, you've got to bridge that physical gap with really strong communication skills. And so when I say like skills to do the job, that's more what I'm talking about than like knowing the latest and greatest application. So those are really some of the things that we filter on. And we'd rather take time to find the right hires than rush through a hiring decision just to get a warm body in here. We've made that mistake before and you don't want to make it too many times because you, yeah. you end up realizing how painful it is to fix it. <laughs> yeah. You get the opportunity to pay stupid tax when you do that. The, uh, you know, for us too, I think we, because we don't have an office, all of our folks work from home. We also look to find people that value working from home, that this is something that's a great move for them or they want to have that and they value it. There's some people that frankly just could never work in their home office because they got to be around other people. Yeah. And as much as they maybe want to work here, the truth is they're going to go crazy and feel isolated and go through all range of emotions because they're just not acclimated to working from home or want it bad enough. And that, the other thing too, back on culture piece, you know, we, um, we have a kind of a short form essay, if you will, that we ask 12 questions. They're based on our six core values. So two questions each, we ask them to kind of answer uh, you know, some questions that are connected to our core values. Like open-ended and so we can kind of see like what they're thinking tied to our values to see if there's alignment there. We call that the MAG-12, but really the Belay-12. But it's, it's, it's basically our, our way of kind of getting at those things. Um, you know, seeing how their lens is before they're ever part of our company, how they, how they see those values kind of play out personally before they ever join our company. Yeah. And we're big in Enneagram, you know, understanding personality profiles. And, you know, I think we do a really good job of interviewing thoroughly by the time, you know, any kind of frontline person actually gets to the door, they probably have had four to six interviews via webcam and just gone through quite a bit in order to kind of get to the place where we could want to make an offer to them. You hiring the right people. We're <laughs> <laughs> trying. Yeah. Uh, Kara Rank, who uh, is one of the creators and starters of Dishing Magazine here, I had her on the show a few episodes ago and she said, hire slow and fire fast. Amen. That is a true. Amen. Statement. Yes, indeed. And you pay people well. I mean, that's the other thing is you know if you if you don't pay people well, uh, you know that it'll 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 bite you. Ultimately, you know we uh, we we try really hard to make sure that we're in line competitively with you know and and in the early days of a startup, that's a lot harder because you're trying really you know, to manage your cost you know all the more and. You wish you could maybe pay people more, but as you kind of grow and you scale, you've got to make sure that that's in check too. Mm-hmm. And and part of the culture that you provide is part of the payment. That's right. Because not every company can sustain the culture that you have created and the value that people see and feel when they accomplish their job and help right. other people succeed. That's right. And I think there are really affordable ways for organizations to invest in their culture. Like one of my favorite things that we do as a company is Belay Buddies. And so we 
intentionally pair up team members who don't work together day in and day out. We go through a rotation and they end up connecting either in person or, you know, 30 minute Zoom um, just to get to know each other. Where'd you grow up? How are the kids? You know, so that they're making those connections and having those relationships uh, that wouldn't happen organically within the organization. It's, you know, it costs them their time, but it's, it pays off in connection, in, in dividends and connection and relationship. Yeah. So there's plenty of ways that organizations can invest in culture on the cheap. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Belay buddies. Yeah. I'm going to ask Kelly who her belay buddy has been. Oh, she, I don't know if she's, I'm talking more about the corporate team, but I would love oh, okay. for Kelly to have a belay buddy with one of her <laughs> VA colleagues out there. <laughs> um, I know that you guys have spoken about gossip in the workplace mm-hmm. and for people that are listening, let's say that they're caught up into the gossip and they realize it is unhealthy. How would you recommend for them to get out of that circle? I hate gossip. Great question. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And, and I've, I've learned, a, and we've learned a very valuable thing from the book Entree Leadership by Dave Ramsey. He talks about um, how they handle gossip and it's just, you basically are warned and then you're fired. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a virtual organization, it's very easy to gossip. Like we just, we're not in people's homes to see them on phones or in IMs or anything else. And so they could do it. Our mantra, or our, I guess our saying about gossip, we teach it first off. We teach what gossip is, and it's basically taking your problem to somebody that can do nothing about it. So you're, so not only are you poisoned, you're poisoning the waters for someone that can do nothing about it. And then we also teach them what, what gossip is in terms of taking it to your, a person that's a peer, or worse, taking it to somebody that reports to you. you know, and the right way to handle your issues inside of Belay is to take your problem up never sideways or down. And so we just do our best to train everybody on what gossip is and the dangers of it and how it can really impact the culture of our company, but then also give them the way to handle those issues when they kind of come up. Yeah. And the, and the truth is a lot of our team members came from really toxic environments that when, you know, they're looking into belay in our culture and they hear things like we have a no gossip policy, they're like, that sounds too good to be true. Could that really, and they get in here and they're like, it is true, and I'm going to defend it to the death. And so it is so ingrained in our team members, and it's so refreshing to work in a positive environment like this, that when gossip has happened, and it has, the team members will call it out and then leave it up to leadership you know, how to decide. And we've let people go for that reason alone. They were high performers. They were otherwise a good culture fit, but we've just seen – the cancer that gossip is in an organization and and so have our team members so that when it happens, they're the ones raising the flag. Yeah. A good culture defends itself. And, you know, what, and that's what we found too, is like, you know, maybe there's someone that's a really good interviewer and they get into our company and we missed it. The culture will basically spit them out and, like and orbits, around, them out. It orbits them out pretty quick mm-hmm. where, where we didn't catch it because a, col- a healthy culture protects itself. And, and you see it, it, it really becomes a vibrant thing, something to protect because people value it so much. I love it. Gossip sucks. Yeah, it does. <laughs> in those environments before. And man, it is no fun yeah. to, to hear it or to, to just feel it. Yeah. 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 No one wants to come to a place like that. You know, it just becomes this nasty cancer, like Shannon said. And we just, we've, like Shannon said, we've had to get rid of, um, in eight years, we've had to get rid of three people. 
three good people that just can't do that. We, we teach them it. We have it in the play handbook. That is their warning. If we validate it, they're fired. Do you have a similar policy? Not quite as, not like you do. No, but we've talked about gossip heavily. There's a lot of cultural culture changes that are happening in my organization right now. Cool. Um, All for the better. And the gossip part is one that I'm focusing on changing. That's cool. Well, I can help less. Yeah. I think just teaching them what it is, is the first step to recognizing it. You're like, Oh, that's what that means. You know, it's uh, mm-hmm. it, it, just helping them understand, putting some wheels on what it actually looks like or feels like. It's very important. I've also heard the analogy of you're putting your monkey on somebody else's back. You know, I like that. Like, no, it's your monkey. You keep you you figure out your monkey. You don't put it on my back. This is not my monkey. Now, if you're the leader, that's a different story. But if you're just a peer, it's just putting your problems on somebody else and, and weighing them down and burdening them. I've been taking some notes during this. Been taking copious notes, and I appreciate all of this information and I'm sure the listeners today are going to be able to take away so much about their role and wherever they work and how they can reflect on that and how they contribute to the culture and helping it be in a positive environment. You guys have done some spectacular work growing Belay and impacting in people's lives and helping people grow. Thank Thank you you very much. Thank you. That means a lot. Thank you. I hope it helps um, the listeners too. I hope it does. So to wrap things up today, if there is a little word of wisdom, one little nugget that you each want to share with folks, what would that be? I think for me, um, just really simple in terms of delegation as, as a leader is recognizing your responsibility with delegation. Most of the people that are employed by you are adults and they want to be treated like an adult. And the best way to delegate to an adult is to trust them with the result, not the task. So I'd say delegate results, not tasks. I think that that's very important. A lot of leaders miss out on that. And they want to give them the 85 things they have to do to get to some uh, end result when the reality is most people just need the result and they need to be given the freedom in order to execute to that result and be there for them. So I'd say delegate result, not tasks. I like that. Shannon? Okay, I'm going to go more practical. I'm moderately obsessed with my full focus planner by Michael Hyatt. I just started using it. I'm almost completed with my first quarter. And the reason I like it is as an Enneagram 7, I'm like, oh, adventure, let's go do the next fun thing. Well, that's not actually what the company needs from me most days. What what Belay needs from me is to be uh, focused on the right things, not just the urgent things. And so it's allowed me to really distill down my big three for the day and be a lot more proactive and intentional with my time. So whether it's this planner or some other method of getting to that, that, that focus on as a leader, what the important things are, not just the urgent things, whatever tool you can find to help you in that would be my, my tip for the day. I love it. And in the pre-show, you and I were talking about the full focus planner because I am now wrapping up my second quarter of using it and we will be planning out our next quarter very soon, or maybe you've already planned out your quarter. It's on order. It's on order for sure. Do you use an erasable pen too? Did he sign on that? I do not. Um, I just use a pen and a pencil. Um, I have my 
Bic Uniball pin that I have <laughs> fallen in love with. <laughs> I've got something coming your way. I was like, that seems a little excessive, Micaiah. I don't have to buy all your things. But I was like, okay, I'll try it. And I did. I was like, dang, if I don't love this erasable pin, I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> I did read about it. I did read about it for sure. <laughs> well, Shannon and Brian, let's get together with the next time that you guys are here in town. I so appreciate the time that you've provided to me and to the listeners today and keep rocking it. Keep doing what you're doing and uh, making a positive impact out there in the business world. Thank uh, we, you. We appreciate this opportunity. Thank you. Thanks for being an awesome client. Yes. You, you bet. Take care. See y'all soon. All right, bye. Is it okay to pair beer with Beef Wellington? Does Merlot go with Red Bull? Not sure how to make the perfect bourbon and Coke? Well, the team at the liquor store of Jackson Hole can answer all of these questions plus more. Stop in at 115 Buffalo Way, Jackson, Wyoming, or visit us at tlsofjh.com to experience service that will knock your socks off. The liquor store has been serving the Jackson Hole Valley for over 35 years. Thank you everyone for tuning in today to the Jackson Hole Connection. I hope you have enjoyed listening and can take away a little nugget about life. I'm always looking for fun guests who have a connection to Jackson Hole. Know of someone who would be great to be on the show? Please send me an email to connect at thejacksonholeconnection.com. Please subscribe, rate, and review The Jackson Hole Connection on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you receive your podcasts. A special shout out to my friend Luke Taylor for producing and providing the tunes for this podcast. Luke, you help bring it all together. Y'all come back again. You hear?